just want to introduce Matthew Rudolph. We are blessed uh, to now have Matthew Rudolph in the state of Connecticut. Um, and we're jealous to have him. Um, the, he, he comes from one of the Messianic families, and I'm going to put this in my own words, but as the Messianic body emerged, his parents really were immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they pursued the Holy Spirit, I think, in those days more than, than, than others. And the Lord has in, in, instilled in th their family a special download that, uh, that is, well, I'll let him explain it, but uh, I just, I just we're, we're, it's a blessing to have Matthew and his brothers also uh, in the United States beginning to, to really plant for the Lord with the restoration and the one you meant. Well, it's good to be with you this afternoon and uh, at, for, for the day here. Um, and uh, like, I, like I mentioned earlier, uh, I lead an organization called Gateways Beyond International, and we're um, a family of Messianic missional communities that are based in Israel, Cyprus, uh, uh, Germany, Herrenhut, Germany, for, for the prayer people. Uh, and then uh, we're also in Geneva, Switzerland, and we have uh, also another community out in Spokane, Washington State, and uh, are planting in, in south of France right now, uh, Belgium, a couple other places. And so I have the joy of, uh, with my wife and a, and a team overseeing that organization, as well as um, I'm also, I also serve uh, with an organization called Tikkun, which means restoration in Hebrew. And my father was, uh, was a part of the leadership of that, and then Mantle was placed to be uh, as an, the first of the next generation leaders uh, to, uh, to serve with that team as well, which is, Tikkun is a, a, a five-fold apostolic um, Jewish uh, network of networks, so to speak. And, um, and actually, some of these guys were all involved with that together. And um, yeah, and so the Lord's called us uh, to New England very recently, and we, we want to be a part of, basically we saw the track record of how the Lord took our family around the world, uh, was that he would often take us where there were wells of past moves of God, and that we would build altars at the site of those wells to be open up the heavens and the earth to be a place of encounter again. And we see ourselves very much like midwives in the spirit to, to come in and to help to do the dirty work of redigging those wells of revival so that we could provoke to jealousy the people whose very inheritance it is and say, this actually belongs to you. There's treasure that's here. And so we, we walk the nations of the earth with a redemptive eyes to see what God is doing in a place and then to give our, our, our work and our effort in prayer and in worship and in the spiritual realm uh, to uh, drawing out those treasures again and then really uh, turning that over to, you know, to the people that are placed in, in, in those different regions um, and helping to serve a bigger uh, purpose uh, for that. But when I met Jonathan uh, a couple years ago, I just, I really fell in love with him right away. By Moody's grave. By Moody's grave, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, and, 
And actually, interestingly enough, uh, as we were there at Moody's grave, John said, you know, we, we've had all these words connected to Jerusalem and over the years to do with 10 days and the different initiatives that were there at Moody's grave. And uh, do you have any insight into what that connection could be? And I just remember that as we were there, we shared some and sensed the presence of God so strongly. And it is a part of what God is doing uh, throughout the earth today in that we, as the gospel went out from Jerusalem to the very four corners of the earth, there's been a turning. There's been a shifting from the four corners of the earth back to Jerusalem. And as the Lord has uh, restored to the body of Messiah, to the church uh, throughout the centuries, and there's been these places that have been key places where God has raised up a viable witness that has impacted regions and nations, as, it, as the gospel comes back to the Bible lands, as it comes back to Jerusalem, there's an opportunity in each of those places for those wells to be redug again and with even greater force to be released as an impact in that region of the earth unto the coming of the Lord and into preparing the way for the return of Yeshua, of King Jesus in Jerusalem. And so we, it's our joy to uh, live in such a way to help to partner to see that happen. And uh, we're believing for that in New England. We're believing that for the United States, as well as Europe and the Middle East and the Mediterranean region. Amen. So. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Matthew Smola, do you want to just share a little bit about your ministry focus, and then we're going to open it up to Q and Q and A. Okay. Um, so I. Uh, so I can, oh, do you need to make an announcement? No. <laughs> um, I. Uh, yeah, I really minister out of my testimony. Uh, was brought into the faith radically in college through the witness of my three African American charismatic college roommates, um, who shared the gospel with me and. <clears throat> in my crisis of seven years of rebellion, confusion, and uh, really um, uh, whatever you want to say, uh, after watching my house burn and watching my parents get divorced, you know, the, the power of redemption really hit me at the right time in college. And, um, but I developed this uh, passion to uh, assimilate, as, as our brother said, into the church. And, and, and the Lord, in a backwards way, has allowed me to come and um, understand the process of regrafting. You know, horticulturalists um, prophetically call this process, uh, there's a thousandfold return to the original tree when you regraft the, uh, when you graft in a wild olive branch to uh, original tree. And so how much more life from the dead for the regrafted original, right? Native branches. So for me, my whole testimony is about being regrafted and uh, giving honor to the wild olive branches that have actually provoked me to jealousy. What happens when you graft in a wild olive branch is that the original branch gets provoked to jealousy and it starts producing very fast, the growth process. It's, I'll, I'll send some of you an article if you're interested. A, a rabbi did an inductive uh, study with a horticulturalist about this very process. It's very prophetic and very accurate. Um, and so my whole life is wrapped up in this, and it's, it's warfare, it's, it's like the, you know, the inheritance is spoken, and then you fight for it, you go through the exile, you get the return, and you get married, you have kids, and you have all these things. And so I found myself um, really in love with Jesus really early and following him in a lot of places like Jews for Jesus in Israel, 
uh, YWAM, the Salvation Army, Promise Keepers, the Road to Jerusalem, and now back with the International House of Prayer and having a, an assignment now with our, our dear family in Jerusalem who share the same uh, heart posture uh, about the return of the Lord, Takun. And so uh, 15 years after that original season with my roommates, uh, it's just an honor to uh, see what God is doing. I love what Lauren Cunningham said. Uh, he said, find out what God is doing in your generation and throw yourself in it. And I feel like uh, if there's one thing that could describe what I live for, it's finding out what uh, God is doing and serving uh, and giving passion to it and then connecting uh, folks to one another across the body so that God's people can be built up and um, we can hasten his return. Amen. So uh, fire away. Questions, answers, questions, whatever, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Um, <clears throat> over the past year and a half, I've had over 30 in-time dreams. And um, I, I really don't want to share, but I feel like I'm supposed to. A lot of them are where I'm, I'm uh, in charge of a group or something, and they kind of evolved, but they've been more specific lately, like the one about the electricity running out and, like, in, I don't know, Allie was teaching me how to conserve water. I was teaching other people, sharing the gospel, very specific dreams. Buildings fall, are falling in the, my dreams that I have. Um, that's very, very profound vision of dreams where it, it's like, I mean, it doesn't feel like a dream. And also another thing is um, these machines just machines and um, some of the stuff is I see people die in my dreams it's not it's not always very I'm not scared though I know that that God's allowing me to have these dreams for a reason and I guess m my question is um, why the dreams I guess I, I've and been inquiring of the Lord why the dream I'm not very um, eloquent right now, so um, what, who all has these dreams, and how many people have you talked to that have been having these dreams, because I know God would give the, for, the, for a reason. Yeah, well, right, God does everything for a reason. Everything is purposeful of the Lord that he does, is that the Lord does. Um, I've run across... I don't know, hundreds of people that have had dreams, end times dreams of the Lord. It sounds like he's, sh he's showing you what you're doing in the times that are coming. And, and so it, it, you are part of the remnant. And, there, and you know, uh, Grant, I said that right, didn't I? Grant was saying that there, uh, the remnant is really, <laughs> how do you use G-R-A-U-N-T, Grant. Uh, <laughs> Um, that the, the, the Lord is, is uh, telling people what is coming, right? And he always does that. He, Amos 3.7, surely God will do nothing without telling his servants the prophets first. And that's plural, right? It's not just one person or two people. It, it's a bunch of people. And a lot of people around the earth have different pieces of this same move of God. And they just have to be faithful to do the part that God shows them what 
to do because it's like a puzzle. God has got this thing all over the earth that he's putting together. And, and we just have to do our part, faithfully do it as well as we can, and let him take care of everything else. He's got the big picture. I would also go back to the Lord and ask for more specific direction related to the dreams. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask the question about what types of information we need to be sharing and what types of information we need to be not sharing, covering. So for example, I hear Grant very clearly saying there's an end time strategy that this needs to be shouted to the church and raise up these armies of intercessors. And I also heard Stephen say there's some names of places and individuals we don't want to reveal that. Now for all other types of information in between, what are the, what's the wisdom principles for what information to share, what not to share? For example, in my hotel room this morning, I've, I found Stephen on LinkedIn and I thought, oh wait, I want to connect with, well, I don't know that I want the powers, you know, the persecutors knowing, hey, that we've met. Do I? Do I not? So I would just like to ask from your experience and what you've seen and who you've spoken to, what we need to be aware of about what to share and what not to share. Uh, share nothing. <laughs> uh, I am on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm on Facebook as well, but I use it for more for communication. I do have a website as well. And the website really doesn't have much on there. It's pretty archaic. The stuff is pretty old. And I get that too, where people say that. But it's mainly there for my email address and that sort of thing where people can contact me. So, because they have to be able to reach out. Um, I was up in, in New York State um, pretty recently, or let me say, like now it's about a year, I guess. And uh, to a friend of, friend of yours up there, I was at his house speaking. And this guy is a pretty pr prophetic guy. and. And every, as I'm speaking during this whole meeting, he's like giving me these funny looking faces and like, what, you know, just like, what, like, what? Do I have something on my face? You know, I didn't know what was wrong. And at the end of the meeting, he said, while you were speaking, your face kept changing into the face of some of other people. Hmm. And so he's like, Lord, what is that? And the Lord says, that's how I'm protecting him. So the Lord is going to protect us supernaturally. People have seen, seen the, uh, have had dreams where they're running away from soldiers who want to kill them. They're, they're literally running, and they're like within 20 feet of them. And the Lord says, lay down. And she and her daughter lay down in, the, in a field. There's, not, there's nothing to hide it behind. Just lay down in the grass, and these soldiers just run right by them. They don't even see them. So, so God is going to protect his people. And so... You know, I'm no CIA agent. I'm no, no guy that's trained as 007 or anything like that. But, you know, I'm just a normal guy, and I'll, I'll make mistakes. I talk on the phone. I t you know, I, whatever. But God protects that. He knows what the enemy's doing. I, I've been so, so early on in the ministry, the, these people gave me a map of places of refuge and, and a Star of David over this nation and stuff and pretty cool stuff. And I had a friend who's a pastor, can I make a copy of that, a Xerox? And I was like, well, I, I had a check, but I let him because he was a friend of mine. And another guy, can I take a picture of that with my cell phone? And both of them, within a week, call me back, independent of each other, and say, can I make another Xerox? Can I, make another, uh, can I take another picture with my phone? Because it's gone. <laughs> so the Lord oh, is oh. protecting this thing. And we got to trust in him. Mm -hmm. We really do. Mm -hmm. we, we're not smart enough 
and, nor, you know, or trained well enough to prevent the enemy or whoever from, from listening in or seeing what we're doing. God can do it, though. Mm -hmm. um, two, two things. Dan Justa has a wonderful booklet. It's not really a book. It's 100 pages on uh, Revelations and Passover. And it really suggestively presents uh, the messianic perspective into eschatology that I think the church is greatly needs. Uh, it's very suggestive. It's the diet. The I's are not dotted. The T's are not crossed. But, you know, there's a suggestion in it that if the Lord takes us through the trouble, remember Israel was only affected by three of the plagues. They were sovereignly, supernaturally protected. And interestingly enough, the brother that he's talking about, you know, if there are martyrs during this time, the brother that he was talking about actually has a sense that he would be martyred. When I first got saved and I read that scripture, into prison you shall go or die by the sword or in Revelations, the into prison thing jumped off the page. It was a total rhema for me that I thought, well, what is this? But I had this sense that I was going to kind of be in a, a prison type experience. So I, it, could it be that some of us will be martyred? Possibly. Um, but when the enemy comes down from his place, he's sent down to the earth and he comes after us. We are going to, we're going to the church is going to be in its all-time glory, in its all-time power with greater signs and wonders. This is, this is the time that those scriptures are going to be fulfilled. And, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at this more as a spectator wanting to be taken out of it when we're coming into the greatest time for the body of Messiah on the earth to see the greatest harvest and Israel's awakening. So there's a slightly different perspective here, and I'm not saying we know all the times. We don't. We, how can we possibly dot every I and cross every T when it comes to the end time? But that dependency, you know, that Stephen focused on is the key. And it's interesting because that's what he's doing in the us. That's what he's doing in his remnant. He's creating this, this, this new one, new man that, that is, has to have a greater dependence on him. So when this trouble comes, the light will shine in us, and hopefully by the grace of God, we will, in a, we will be able to help the rest of our brothers and sisters that maybe have been blinded up until that point to unveil their eyes and bring them into the fold. Thank you. Oh, Adam, that's fine. You know, I'm not on the panel. I'm just the mic passer, but there's a lot of fear surrounding that. And I confront it on a regular basis, but martyrdom is not the end. Like if you have the honor and the privilege of being a martyr, martyr for Christ. You get to join one of the most exclusive prayer meetings when the fifth seal is open in Revelation and begin to see God literally shake the heavens in answer to that prayer. Amen. And just because you said that at, at IHOP, we teach a lot about Revelation and the end times. And 
I think Mike Bickle has dissected the book of Revelation very well, and he says something like, I'll, I'll get the percentage wrong, but the actual number of verses in Revelation about persecution are like 3%. You know, it's like 80, 90% of the book is all about, you know, the saints and what God is doing. And so, yeah, I mean, there is persecution. It's they're not hiding from it, but the focus is not doom and gloom. It's, you know, the move of God and his plan to redeem the earth. You look like you want to say something. I do have a question, but if you want to break in. Okay. And it was kind of switching gears just a bit, but uh, you had mentioned, Stephen, like the revival's going to come in, stadium's going to be filled, and you said, you didn't use these exact words, I don't think, but it was like a nameless, uh, at IHOP we call it the nameless and faceless generation, that there's going to be people up on the stage doing all this ministry. It's not going to be everyone coming in because it's Billy Graham or Todd White or someone like that. It's a nameless and faceless generation that God is raising up. Now, I was just going to ask for my own curiosity, did you, had you heard that from IHOP or like, no, that was just something, okay, this is so cool because this is a well-known part of IHOP's prophetic history. I mean, we're talking like 30 years ago, prophetic people were seeing this 30, 35 years ago and they called out those exact things. Stadium Christianity is coming back to America. You know, in, in the days ahead, the stadiums will just be filled for days on end and people just won't want to leave and the glory of God will be there. We'll see every sickness known to man healed, you know, or in some places and it will be a nameless and faceless generation ministering. Yeah. Uh, so the, the way it came to me, I was in Honduras and I was, the Lord told me to go into this church and they were worship, there was a worship team and we started praying for them. And this lady that's in charge invites us to her house to pray for her family and such. And so I'm praying and we're praying. Actually, there were several of us, five of us. And, and I start praying for this lady and the Lord showed her to me and what she was wearing. And I said, you're, I see you, you're in a stadium and you're preaching in front of all these, a full stadium. And I said, and she stops me right there and she says, I know I want to learn English. And I said, you're not going to learn English. You are going to speak in Spanish and they're going to hear it in their language. It, well, it doesn't matter what, they, what they're going to hear, what you're going to speak. And, and, um, and that's where the Lord showed me the stadiums and that they're, they're going to be these no-name prophetic evangelists, what I call them, who are going to be just speaking what they hear God saying. There's a harvest coming and it's going to be cool. It's going to be so awesome. At the same time, it's so terrible. Right. It's the, it's the phrase from the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times at the same time. And we have to watch what narrative we get caught up in. Amen. And, and, and to, to address the, the martyrdom thing, God, that's been a theme a little bit for me too. And uh, I had this lady uh, from South Korea, awesome lady, uh, that I met on the East Coast. And she was well known in her circles of the people that I knew such and such. And, and she told me about this story of her, what happened when she was in a prayer time and she just went out on the floor and everybody, are you okay? And, but she, she never came to, but they heard her side of the conversation. She was talking to Jesus and he came and he took her by the hand and he said, she said, he took me to heaven and he was showing me around heaven and we were passing the mansions and, you know, all the stuff you hear about heaven and have heard. But we're, one of the interesting things was they're passing these mansions and they're gorgeous, beautiful mansions. But she said one of them was disappearing. It was like fading away. And she's like, Jesus, what's going on with that one? And she goes, that one belongs to a pastor who's still back on earth and he's turning away from me. Very profound. And then she went on and, and, and the Lord took her to this massive building. And this building was, uh, she said it was so beautiful. Everything's beautiful there. And it was so beautiful. And he takes me inside and he says, this is where we make the crowns. 
and he takes her to one, built, one room in this building, and there's these little tiny crowns, and they're beautiful, and stones, and all, just gorgeous, and, and, um, and then another room where they're a little bit bigger, and there's more stones, and they're more ornate, and all this stuff, and then he takes her finally to this room where these crowns were huge, and they were magnificent, and there's no words to describe how beautiful they were, and, and Jesus turns to her, and he says, these are the crowns of the martyrs. Do you want one? And she said, yes, Lord, I want one. And she said, Jesus just smiled. And he turned back and looked at the crowns. They just admired the crowns. And you know, when you think of those crowns, they're not for us. They're not for our glory. What do we do with the crowns? We take them off and we place them at the feet of Jesus. They're for his glory. And that's how we have to think about this. This is temporary. All this, all, we're dust. All this is temporary. Everything that we do is, is, should be about eternity. Everything we think, right? Lord, make my thoughts, you know, happy. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. They're just, we just got to, to really be concerned with eternal things, not with the temporary. Not building a ministry, but building a kingdom. Amen. Hey guys, um, just a question, practical question. There seems to be a number of different visions, dreams, perspectives as to what happens here in America going forward. And instead of getting precise, because we see in part, we know in part, and we know uh, that in the future we'll see clearly, uh, some, one of the questions that people might have is uh, questions like this. What is the future for the United States? Is the United States going to be revived or not? Um, as people are sent back to Israel in Aliyah, um, are Gentiles also going? Another question. Um, if we're having stadium revival, that doesn't seem like a time of persecution. So are we going to be underground or are we going to have stadium revival? Anybody want to? To take any of those things on or talk to a little bit of practicality of how do we deal with some of these prophetic unctions. People have a spectrum of understanding of this and it creates confusion in the body of Christ. So that's why I bring it up. And I know it's a hard question, so. It's for the internet. Burns on me. I and and I say this all in love. So it's it, it sounds to me like a like a uh, a Greek mindset question versus a Hebrew mindset question because the Greek mindset is linear. It's structured. It's the bubble test. The answer is either A, B, C, or D. Right? You know, we want the one right answer, and that's how the Western mindset thinks. But the Eastern mindset and the Jewish mindset, I mean, time is all discombobulated. You know, you read through the scriptures, you know, from our perspective, you know, where it's like God's talking present tense and it's past and it's future and it all just flows. You know, the, the Jewish mindset on time is much different. You know, it's cyclical and things are continual. So, and you may know all this and I'm not, you know, I'm not like trying to, to, to hate on you or lecture you or anything, but I, I think, you know, the more I study it, you know, being part of IHOP and the more we talk about it, somehow in God's economy, it can be, 
you know, it's like it's like the time needle, you know, going like this, like revival, you know, persecution, you know, and it's like, you know, or as we think, it's like it's going to get revived, and then there's going to be persecution, and then it's, you know, like we we see it kind of, and this is just the answer that comes to me that God and God can create pockets of mercy, you know, uh, areas where the revival is going forth, and areas where the persecution is more intense, like the land of Goshen where there was more safety. That, that's just the answer burning on my heart. That uh, I'd love to hear more what you guys have to say, but I just felt like I wanted to get that out there. same time, depending on what people believe, they take very different actions. And we are to be unified of the body of Christ. So to have unity, we at least have to have a common understanding of what we're all, you know, rooting for doing. Um, so, you know, in somewhere in there, if anyone wants to take some stabs at clarification, that just might be of help for all. But. Um. As you were sharing about the stadium, something that just really leapt at me was Katrina filled a stadium. The hurricane, we have hurricanes normally on the coast, those fill stadiums. Do we have to have a stage and music and a band to evangelize in a full stadium? It is just one of the things that was on my heart as you were mentioning that. Um, Greg, really good question. I think first, we, we need to come into an understanding that we see in part and we know in part. We make a mistake when we are definite about prophecy because we don't know. On the other hand, we should be passionate and strong for our opinions. But I think one of the keys to this time, it, it's going to unveil, okay? The key for us is to get in to the mode and to begin to help activate the restoration of God's family because it's going to, to bring about major changes. When, we, um, when, when, when we're too definite, like some in, in, in the uh, dispensationalist church, every eye is dotted, every T is crossed, it's all figured out. We, we don't know. Um, the, the case I cite is Yeshua with Elijah. No one got. I mean, you have to realize there was eschatology on the earth before Yeshua came. And when he came, the body of the Lord was Jewish at that time. And they had end time beliefs. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't, right? Who got the John the Baptist? was the Elijah. And yet, look how gently Jesus brings it back to his disciples, if you will accept it, okay? Why did he use those words? Because, you know, um, I just think it's really important for us when we present our opinions that we must not be definite. We can be passionate, we can be suggestive about these things, but when they happen, it will cause a shakeout. And is it possible? Uh, we, we believe an end time revivals are coming. We do. How exactly that happens, we don't know. Okay? Do we believe the Jews are supposed to return to the land? Ezekiel 39 says, not leaving one behind. 
Does that mean every Jew has to come back? Poss yes, possibly. On the other hand, can God do something different? Yes. They could come back afterwards. We don't know 100% because we see in part and we prophesy in part. And, you know, I write about this in the book. We should be passionate. We should be strong about our opinions. What we should never do is divide over eschatology, is allow the devil to divide us, breaking the greatest covenant to love one another and the unity that we need to have. These things are going to work out one way or the other. Any other comments, brothers? Well, just to say, as along with this, the question about, you know, what about America and, and what place does it have? I mean, Jesus, Yeshua, is the hope of the nations. He's the hope of the whole world. And if there's an emphasis that's uh, like this afternoon where we're talking about God's redemptive purpose for the people of Israel and the nation of Israel, it's not to the exclusion of every other a nation, but in fact, it's rather a as a priest nation to point the way to the heart of God for every nation. And so, uh, you know, I just, you know, want, as a Jewish believer, want to say that, that, that Yeshua, the Jewish Messiah, he is also the savior of the whole world and that there is hope for America and there's, there's a hope for the move of God as it is for the entire globe. And for the whole world, that's the, the kind of response that's worthy of who he is and how great he is, is that every nation will be presented to the Son of God. Something that I go out and teach a lot uh, regarding the end times is uh, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 25, uh, specifically looking at these three parables as a prophetic picture in the Lord's own words of what the kingdom will be like before the end. And... Uh, and that third parable uh, relates to the sheep and the goats. It relates to kind of this apocalyptic vision, this glorious vision of the Lord coming and the glory of his father and the angels. And he's coming to Jerusalem. He's coming and he's setting up his throne. And, uh, and so this is the installment of the king, but it's put in judicial terms. Now he's in the place of the throne, the seat of the throne, kind of like if you could picture Caiaphas or Herod in one of these depictions of, of the Lord before he was flogged and crucified, he had to stand before their bima. Um, and he's putting the sheep and goat nations over to his left and his right, and he's judging them on the personal terms of their endearment to him and seeing him in the Jewish people. And he equates these terms to back to the prophecy of his father to Abraham, his friend. And he says, as you do it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. This is personal to the Lord. So this, this is a time, a window of grace and mercy for us to be praying. Not only for us to mobilize Jews, yes, to go back to the land. Not only to preach the gospel in our neighborhoods to Jews, yes but to prepare and pray that we collectively, the remnant in America, would be increasing in sheep choices that are personal to Jesus, that really have heaven or hell uh, consequences. Amen. I've got a question just um, in light of recently and just other conversations. Um, 
just been studying Zechariah, and I just wanted to know y'all's perspective. This could be personally, it could be the organizations you lead, the organizations that you are connected with, but um, what is it like for y'all um, in doing both fasts and feasts? And so how, like, are there either personal or corporate rhythms that, that y'all are in or that you see amongst different congregations or just how do we do that in light of what's to come? We obviously fast for Jesus to return. Um, and yet there are, you know, corporate rhythms of feasts and just how do you guys, how do you guys see that? How do you, you know, do that personally and just within your different organizations? I'll just tell from a personal experience with this. Um, in 97, 98, 99, the Lord, there was a period of time where the Lord was really um, taking me. It was when I was in Bible college and was taking me into a season of extended fast. And uh, my sister and I, we, we were just pursuing the Lord and so hungry for God in that time. And there was something that was happening also. We were back in the States at that time. And uh, where there was this awareness of, of fasting and prayer that was coming to the body in a, in a fresh wave uh, during that time. And so began to enter into a rhythm of fasting uh, in those years. And I began to see a pattern uh, in hindsight after a couple of years of this. But basically, um, with young adult groups that I was leading or college groups or different things like that, we would feel led by the Lord to engage these 21-day fasts or 40-day fasts. And, uh, and we would see that they would end up, in hindsight, at one of the feasts of the Lord, one of the biblical feasts. And we hadn't planned it, but we just noticed the pattern in it. And it was like the Lord was taking us personally and then the corporate groups that we were with on a journey of understanding his biblical calendar by prepping our hearts for a season of revelation coming out of the feast. And so that just personally, that connection between the fasting and then the feast of the Lord, uh, that, that, that had a, it set a precedent in my own personal life in the in foundations of our, of our ministry as well, um, where we saw kind of like our personal journey of God connecting to his biblical calendar as well. Um, and, and also just to say, like, feasting is a lot more fun. <laughs> Amen. Um, oh, I could just say for, from IHOP, uh, in that perspective, it's so, it's so good and, uh, encouraging to fast in community and in accountability with one another. Uh, we actually, in the original days had fasting teams where folks were, uh, assigned to, you know, to support one another and the wisdom of God's pastoral gift in Mike Bickle. Right. Um, so I think it's, um, it's something that happens uh, actually monthly, the first Monday through Wednesday. It's called the Global Bridegroom Fast. So it's actually within the context of the prayer movement and those associated with the House of Prayer relationally. It's something that the body of Christ connecting uh, does. And then there's a, a web stream via technology on the Internet that joins everybody into the prayer room where folks are praying in unity for the same things, for the breakthrough of God, for our cities, our communities, for the nations, and for Israel. And so it's something that uh, specifically ties into God's purposes for Israel. And, you know, uh, it definitely can have its way in bringing more unity towards the feasts. Uh, and for the first time in 2018, 
IHOP actually celebrated the fall feast as a missions community um, and had an expression of that in the prayer room so that the nations could join into that. So I think fasting tenderizes our heart. It gets us sensitive for the end times message, and it also allows the Holy Spirit to shepherd us through leaders and through their sensitivity to the Spirit to the Moedim, to the appointed times. And so it's a convergence of both. I think the personal brings us into the corporate and even the timing of, of God's calendar. I'm going to close you guys on this question. America's best days are ahead of us, question mark. The American government will be oppressive to Christians, question mark. Which one, both, answer. I want to hear from everybody. Um, or you can also say, I don't know. I mean, I'm just asking like yeah, for more like if you feel revelatorily anything more than just like an opinion. But if you, if you don't have anything, that's fine. Um, I just want to give my opinion. Yep. Um, I believe we have a window um, presently. And I, I don't understand why we have the window, but we have a window. Um, uh, you can feel the Antichrist spirit on the rise with those that are against anything godly. Um, and it's becoming hateful. It's increasing. Um, could that spirit get to the point where it becomes murderous? You know, sin gives birth to death. So... Um, is persecution the thing that could really wake up the church? Yeah. I mean, from a common sense point of view. Um, um, Don Finto preaches a message on the wheat and the tares that both uh, evil and righteousness have to come into their fill before the harvest and the sickle comes. So... I personally believe right now we have a season. I don't know how long that season is. I've, I've heard Chuck Pierce talk about several years. Um, but I, I do believe there is some, I, like I said, what is going to get my people's attention? They, they idolize money. They're at the top of the world. They don't want to be born. They don't want to return to God. But God is going to have his way through them. His, mm -hmm. He will show himself holy through their restoration. So what is going to get their attention? And what will get the attention of the world and cause the church to arise to win the harvest and to move in great signs and wonders? So that's kind of my opinion and how I see it. Yeah, good. So are America's best days ahead? Yes or no? No, keep go, Matthew. <laughs> and, you know, is, do you believe the American government will be oppressive towards Christians? Like, just for example, there was just yesterday passed in Massachusetts a counseling ban on, uh, meaning you can't, um, if someone comes to you and they're like, I'm transgender or I'm gay, you can't counsel them if you're a professional counselor, you 
can't counsel them away from that. So I'm just wondering, like, yeah, on those two questions. Yeah, I, d I don't see the, the, the two as, like, necessarily the opposite ends of the spectrum. I, the, the answer to the first question to me is yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I think I'm surrounded by the way, probably first by the way I read scripture, by the way that I experience the reality of God and his love and his power, and in the, in the language and the testimony that I surround my life with, that I'm far more impressed with what God is doing in the earth than what the enemy has. And so I live with a uh, contagious hope of, of that there is the, the kingdom of God is breaking forth in the earth, and it's, we're seeing it more and more towards the day of the Lord where we, we, in fullness it comes. Uh, in terms of will the American government uh, become uh, more oppressive or there be more persecution from the government? I don't know, but I think the Lord will work it uh, either way for his people to be able to shine in the midst of that. And so we should use our freedom while we have our freedom to his glory to the best possible way we can. And, and yet we also, if persecution comes with increased measure, that it will also cause us to shine in the midst of that and how we respond to that oppression that comes. What were your questions again? <laughs> Are America's best days ahead? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Will the American government become oppressive? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, well, I, I, I honestly, uh, the finest hour for the church is yet ahead. And that to me is what I think the Lord's perspective is. He, he's looking at the church, right? He's not, America's part of that, I think, but I, I really believe that it, because of, of He's going to glorify his name through his body. And I really think that's the deal. Um, that's the most important point to me to, to focus on. Um, the Kansas City uh, pro prophecies uh, that I have heard about are talk about, you know, communism and Islam coming together. And they're going to become a terror in the world based out of Russia and Eastern Europe. That's coming. And it's going to look bad for the United States for a time. That's the prophetic out of Kansas City. But... But the church in Europe and the rest of the world is going to rise up and defeat this enemy. So that's what's coming. And it's, it is going to be the church's finest hour. And God will glorify his name. Yeah, I find it interesting that the <clears throat> I went to a Voice of the Martyrs conference about four years ago. It was my first experience or exposure to their message. And they brought um, those who had been tortured and beaten mm -hmm. from uh, some closed nations wow. uh, like Iran and China and um, I'll, I can't remember the few other nations, but um, specifically what struck me um, related to this message was uh, the Chinese testimony of our, our dear sister from China who said, um, <clears throat> we love you and we've been praying for you for 20 years that you would start walking in authentic faith. And, her t and, and they were like, when the MC, you know, what does, that, what does that mean? You know, and, and she says, well, we're praying that you will experience the suffering and the glory that we've experienced, that your nation will be revived like our nation's been revived. So it was this, it was this acknowledgement that communism brought the greatest harvest and is now like the largest, you know, church population. But it was, in do, it was you know, an intervention of their government to enforce these laws. And so God uses all things together for the good. Um, 
the second thing is that, and so the acknowledgement of this, you know, that there's prayers undergirding this of not just the Revelation 5 martyrs that David mentioned, but there's living martyrs who are praying for America. Mm. And I believe that God is, is saying those, those bowls are actually going to be full over America, and God's going to give us our chance to be refined and finer, fire so that our goal can be tested. Mm. The faith of our, our belief can be tested. Now, here's where that gets personal, and here's where I tremble holding this microphone, is that I had a dream years ago in 2010, and I wrote this dream down. I actually wrote, I drew a picture of it, um, and I was very reluctant to share this, but I feel led to. Um, but in this dream, I was led into a school, a very common, typical neighborhood school in the suburbs, not in an inner city. And uh, I'm brought to the front desk by two soldiers. And uh, I'm, I'm led to open up the application of this booklet. And, uh, and, and, it, and they focus, the fingerprint of the attendant at the desk focuses on this question, are you a Jew, yes or no? And immediately in the dream, I'm brought outside and I'm forced to draw a picture of the American flag. And the next thing you know, two soldiers come and grab me and take me out. And I'd never see my wife or never see anybody again. And so I have to believe that this thing is going to get personal for some of us. We're going to need to make up our mind. But the Lord is going to give us a heads up. And he's going to be a tender shepherd and prepare us for those type of things. So I would just challenge you to get with Stephen. Ask him to lay hands on you, pray with you. There's a grace on Stephen, I believe, for us to receive uh, an increase of dreams, visions, and direction. I believe he's a gift to us in being here. And I would just hate to leave without him praying for some of us uh, uh, to, to really come into this place of, Lord, in my place, in my city, in my community, you know, help me to see what's coming and help me to be ready for what my part is in that. So I would just defer back to his, his awesome. calling too. We're going to do that. Um, we're going to have a time of like commissioning tonight and laying on of hands. So we can have that be part of I want it, that to be part of tonight if people feel led to. Yeah. Um, I'm going to close this. I'm sorry, just because um, we're going to be, I, wanna, I want us to be able to get out and get back here by 7 just because I want to leave plenty of time for tonight and uh, feel like I'm like a bad cop here. but. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I would say let's continue the conversation over dinner. We do have a reservation back at Fuddruckers where we were the night before. So sorry if you're like, I hate that. That's what we're doing. Uh, but you, you can go somewhere else if you desire. But um, I'm just going to pray us out. Well, let's first of all, let's just thank these guys for what they've shared with us. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for all that you've been um giving us, Lord, through your spirit, Lord, through one another um, this afternoon. Lord, we just seal this time. And Lord, we thank you for this food that we're about to eat. And we just pray for tonight, Lord, would you just really put a bow on everything that you've been doing so far? Um, in Jesus' name, amen.